Life is full of personal wins. Whether it's cleaning your house, getting that dream car, or checking off your to-do list, winning at life is a great feeling. And with the State Farm Personal Price Plan, you can keep winning when you create an affordable price just for you by bundling home and auto. So give yourself a round of applause. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery, code Wondery. Welcome to the Nerds Podcast number 720. This is a bonus episode, which means what, Katie? It's it's extra. It's extra special. <laughs> well, it also means that we're not... Bonus. There's, yeah, there's bonus, what? but there's also no sponsorships there's on no it. Sponsors. So, so we're just going to make this super quick and say this is uh, episode number 720 with Bobcat Goldthwaite, uh, and he has a movie called Call Me Lucky. So go to callmeluckymovie.com to find out more info and where you can see it. And uh, Katie, let's just start the thing. Now entering Nerdist.com. Welcome, Bcat Jeep Dwight. Thank you. That was a weird way to get into the. You were great at midnight. Thank you so much for doing. Oh, the show. I was. Uh, I was a little numb, so thank you. I'm glad it went well. Are you feeling better? No, of course not. Uh, I'm feeling horrible, but I'm. I'm good. I'm. I'm doing the show. Hey, um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. You just work. It's that thing. You go to work, right? Uh, yeah. Do you, can we talk about it a little bit? Sure, of course. We can talk about anything. Today's the one year anniversary of. Oh, my friend Robin Williams passing away, and I truly had no idea that it was going to affect me today. I don't know why, because I've had other people pass away in my life, but I, I think it was, I've been promoting the movie and just getting, uh, I don't know, you know, it just was, it's been hard. It's been really hard today. I completely understand. Um, as I've talked about many times on the podcast, I, you know, I lost my dad a year and a half ago, and it is the strangest thing that you will be fine, and then all of a sudden... You know, it's like his birthday was just in July, yeah. and then and then all the and and you you just get really sad. It's this really deep sadness that doesn't really feel. It's like where's that coming from? Oh, right, there's an anniversary. Usually, when I feel that sadness, it's like my body knows that something's going on. Yeah, and that's when you say I really feel like it was like a sense memory thing. You know, like like the 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 time of year and everything hit me. It was you know I actually finished the the documentary, the last shot in the documentary, and checked my phone message and and found out that he had, oh, he had gone. So um, yeah, I mean. I've talked about this year, you know, my best friend uh, uh, died and then uh, I went through a divorce and then my girlfriend and I broke up decorating the Christmas tree, but 
at least I had my documentary to edit for 12 hours a day. <laughs> it's the worst fucking year ever. It was so, it was terrible. Oh, it no. Was, and today, and, and, you know, I, I, I've been talking about it, and, it's, it's, and, and, I, and I didn't talk too much ever about Robin out of respect to his children and his wife and family and everybody. I was too busy helping other folks and processing it all myself when he initially passed away. I didn't really care about doing press. But um, I do occasionally have someone will come up and they'll go, hey, did, um, you know, hey, you were friends with Robin Williams. You know, did you ever talk about suicide? And I'm like, well, we're, you know, we're comedians. We talked about suicide for 30 years, you know. <laughs> occasionally we would talk about other stuff, you know. It's like, yeah, hey, hey you won an Oscar. Congratulations. Yeah. How would you do it? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. An automobile, you know. So, um, <laughs> so, but, 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 it, you know, his coroner's report came out, and he had Lewy body dementia, which is a form of dementia. And and I'm not a doctor, but I'm comfortable saying that I witnessed for the past couple of years the definite effects of him having an actual dementia. You know, him not processing reality correctly, and he was going to a number of doctors, and he was doing everything people do for forever you know things and um i don't know if the if it was i do believe that this dementia was just another uh, thing that hit him in the middle of the night you know that i don't think i don't think the decision was made in reality you know so that's that's my own personal opinion and is it uh, is this condition genetic or is it something that is uh, a byproduct of something else that it, you're aware? I don't know how you get it, but it's a, a um, it's a similar to Parkinson's, and that's why they often think people with it have Parkinson's, you know. And he may have had Parkinson's. I don't know. We were at a um, a few years ago. We've been playing basketball with. Uh, it was it wasn't special olympics it was uh but it was these guys who and girls who were mentally challenged and um and there was a doctor there and they could tell by robin's gate they you know that said you know he should he should be checked out for parkinson's by the way he was walking for the record those kids won <laughs> they kicked our ass and it's like you know what i mean it was like we were the washington generals you know it's like it's like you know you can it doesn't matter you're gonna win i'm not gonna you know well it's... but we kicked that special olympics team's ass in your face but then there was really kind of funny because some of the guys were were kind of bro you know and they were serious like the first wave of the team were the kids that were like me, you know, in school. And then all of a sudden these really jockey guys got in there and started playing serious <laughs> Kicking ball. Kicking the shit out of you yeah, guys. Yeah, it was funny. I mean, it's, it's, uh, and, and was, do you think he was aware that something, he must have been aware that something yeah, was he, going Yeah, he, 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 he was, and, and we, you know, we all were, you know, he, you know, he's a brilliant mind and having a hard time with dialogue and, you know, all this stuff was, 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 was hard for him, you know, it was, it was really hard. And I would imagine also, you know, when so much of your, especially him in particular, so much of who he was and who how people saw him was like this right. lightning fast brain right. Right. that was, you know, that was just on point and super right. laser focused. And I mean... Yeah, I, I mean, I, I can't imagine how frustrated I am when I 
can't call up someone's name quickly or I, or I do the classic old guy thing of walking into a room and my daughter will go, you forgot why you came in here, didn't you? I'm like, <laughs> I'm like you're a dick. <laughs> you're, yeah, and, and yes, I did. <laughs> Quick, Dad, why are you here? Uh, I love you. Yeah, I just here? wanted to say goodnight. You're lying. <laughs> I was... um. Not to get off, to, you know, but it's funny. I will tell Robin stories because, uh, uh, you know, it's like people talk. I don't have Robin stories per se. I spent, here's a guy who we text and called each other almost every day. And, uh, you know, I just have a life with him, you know. But all my stories are about me kind of, like, I could I could use some bread. And uh, he did the Snickers commercial. So he called me up. He's like, uh He's like, you know, so I got you you know, on the Snickers commercial with me, you know, and um, he, by the way, he hated people doing impressions of him, but, <laughs> but, but, but he really did. He really did. But he said, so uh, he called up and he said, um, he says, but you know, you, <clears throat> yeah, I'll do it. I'll try to do it well. He goes, but you're going to have to do the voice. Are you okay with that? They're going to make you do the voice. And I was like, you know, the police again, yeah. voice. And I was like. I go, for the amount of money Snickers is paying, I will fuck a Snickers bar on camera. <laughs> and so, and so uh, we shot the commercial, and, and I was about 40 pounds heavier, 50 pounds heavier, and I was wearing a unitard underneath my costume because they had me on a harness, and they didn't want my nipples, I guess, to get worn down. <laughs> and he raps early, but he sticks his head in my trailer and says goodnight. And I get a call the next day, and he's like, why were you wearing a fat suit? <laughs> and I was like, I go, I wasn't wearing a fat suit. And then he goes, Rebecca, you're right. He had like, he had a, he had like a bet going, you know. And I remember when we were in uh, the Caribbean and we were snorkeling, and um, and uh, this barracuda came up, and it was just face to face with us. Suddenly, just swims right up and. I'd love to tell him a better man, but I just grabbed him and put him between me and the barracuda. <laughs> Some instinct shit kicked in. And he, we started laughing and screaming underwater. We, we, we actually ran out of the water with our fins. They <laughs> should have played Benny Hill or something. But, but, um, and he's like, you just did that. That wasn't for comedy. I go, yeah, fuck you. You've had a good run. <laughs> you know, yeah, you've had a good career. You know, it's, it would be Robin Williams and other attacked by Barracuda. That's how that, and how that story goes. So, no, it would just be Robin Williams attacked. <laughs> yeah, Robin Williams attacked. Yeah, because I would have lived. I go, I did my best. I fought valiantly against the Barracuda, but. <laughs> Robin Williams attacked her. Robin Williams attacked near sentient fish bait. Yeah. Oh, come on. Uh, I yeah. can't even. Here's old chum cat Goldthwait. <laughs> So, yeah, so today was, uh, uh, it was a hard day, you know, but, but you know, and it was weird, too, because I've been promoting this movie, and he did have a little bit to do with it, because the movie's Call Me Lucky, and it's a documentary about my friend Barry Crimmins, who is a political satirist, uh, you know, the, the folks aren't aware of him too much, but he... He started the comedy scene in Boston where people like Stephen Wright and Paula Poundstone and myself and all these folks came out of. But uh, my favorite Barry Crimmins joke, because he was, like I said, he's a political satirist, was uh, people say, if you don't love this country, why don't you leave it? He said, because I don't want to be victimized by its foreign policies. <laughs> so a sharp guy. <laughs> Plus, he's doing this, you know, in Boston where it's like, you know, tell a fucking joke, you know. So, um, uh, so Barry, as an adult, was processing his childhood rapes when he was a kid. No way, it gets funnier. And then, um, <laughs> then he, 
<laughs> Barry would be fine with that. We're you know we're so over it, you know. Cause it was like the end of. Uh, did you ever see the Candidate, the Robert Redford movie? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So we're just <laughs> just punchy. So um, he uh, he went online. AOL. Uh, he's looking for other survivors, and he finds all these uh, guys exchanging child pornography in chat rooms when it's dial-up. So AOL's making money. He complains to AOL. They don't do anything. We go to the, He goes to the police. We do. Boy, I'm really <laughs> – he goes to the police. In the movie, the cops say, look, we didn't even have computers then. So Barry posed as a kid. We didn't even have to pose. He just signed on as kids. He's got all this uh, evidence against these guys. What's not in the movie is that the, there was definitely arrests made by the feds, but the feds wouldn't be in the movie. Uh, I don't know why, seeing that the movie's about a leftist radical comedian. But um, <laughs> so, uh, uh, but he did influence the Cleveland, the way they, the, the police do their procedures and been responsible for other arrests. But so, so Barry took AOL to the floor of the Senate and kind of embarrassed them in a, in a judiciary hearing. So it was a real Frank Capra story. And I wanted to make that as a movie. He was this, you know, little guy, you know, to go up against this giant corporation and he embarrasses him and he made changes. And I saw the rage in Barry shift and he changed as a human and he helps people and he goes on with his life. Um, so that getting that movie going was, you know, I, I wanted to make it with an actor playing Barry Probably I was thinking Robin, or actually he and I discussed a little bit, but that never was going to happen. We kept, I kept trying scripts. Barry tried scripts. So, so for twenty years I've been thinking about this movie. So Robin actually, two thousand fourteen in February, he was like, you know, you should make it as a doc. And I was like, all right. So uh, I go, I don't have any money. He goes, I'll give you some money. You can start. So he gave me the money that started Call Me Lucky, and and uh, and that's how the movie got made, you know. And and then it premiered in the same theater. World's Greatest Dad premiered at Sundance, and uh, it was weird because I didn't tell, I wouldn't let Barry or Robin see those movies before they saw them. So Robin's sitting there next to me, and it was like uh, the scene in Cape Fear where De Niro's Max Cady is sitting there laughing <laughs> at Problem Child. Robin's like, because I've been to a lot of premieres with him where Robin would be squirming, you know. Some of those movies were what they were, and. But he laughed like a maniac at, at, at it. And Barry watched Call, Call Me Lucky, and he's like, ugh, ugh, for the first 45 <laughs> minutes. And I finally go, don't worry, I make you Jesus at the end. You know? <laughs> so, so. Well, I think it's – I think it's. Uh, I mean, you said you, you've lost other people, and I'm sure you know the process. But I, I just think – I think it's good to talk about it. I mean, I think it's it's one of those things where – if you feel it, just feel it. You know, like if you if you feel it, if you want to talk about it, if you want to laugh about it, if you want to cry about it, if you want to tell stories, and like I, I feel like you should. And, yeah. and the people that we love and remember, kind of, I feel like they deserve that. They deserve you to feel it. So you know, when people, you know, when people experience loss and they just start getting super fucked up or tickets, like ah, you know, that person, you should you should try to feel this if you can for but them. But it was hard for me to talk about it at first because it was so unique because everybody feels this weird connection to him. So unlike anyone, I mean, like the de- that that his his death in particular sent so many ripples through the entire right. world because I think people just assume like, oh, he's a god, he's immortal, he's always going to be there. Right. Like he's maybe that was it. He's everyone's favorite. He's like he, your uncle. He's it was like Mickey Mouse died, you know. Yeah, and and uh, he, uh, so so in a weird way, I uh, you know I have close friends and people, but it, it is weird when strangers will, will you know 
well, this one guy was just so upset, you know, and he's like, he's like, you don't get it, you know, Mrs. Doubtfire is my favorite movie. And I was like, I'm sorry for your loss. <laughs> it, was, it, was just, it was just like, just stop it. Yeah. Well, you can expect- still watch Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah, exactly. I can't call him, you know. He, uh, yeah, you know, he was my best pal, and uh, and I miss him. I miss him every day. But, you know, it's funny. I don't know why I was thinking of this, but we were walking along here, you know, and I used to direct the Kimmel show, and I did that for three years. And did I ever tell you any of the Super Dave stories? No, I don't think so. Oh, so Super Dave used to be on the show. Super Dave Osborne. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Not another Super Dave. Yeah. What am I saying? What if- <laughs> Osborne. <laughs> Dave Einstein. Dave, yeah. Dave Einstein. Which, uh, Albert Brooks's brother. That's right. And... Um, uh, and and uh, he's always a you know he's a funny guy, sharp guy, kind of you know. But he he would like to give it you know to to you know he he likes to dish it out. So he comes on the show to tape pre tape a bit, and I was like I was like who was on the show last night because you do so many shows, and it was like Andy Dick. You know what that's like. Yeah. You're like you're trying to remember. You don't yeah. remember you finish the show. And so I go get it. I tell tell props to go get a television. In a box, unwrap, and then gift wrap it. So they do this, and then I unwrap it halfway, and I write a card that says, Dear Andy, another amazing appearance. Love the (laughs) Jimmy Kimmel show. And I go, now put this in Super Dave's dressing room, but don't put it in the corner. He was in there for two minutes. He's like, who the fuck is Andy? Who the fuck is Andy? How many times have I done this show? I've never got a fucking thing. You gave Andy Dick? He was like obsessed. Quick, tell me one thing funny Andy Dick's ever fucking done. Like he's just furious. So they go, he's really pissed. I go, okay. So I go, well, move him out of that dressing room. And we had this other dressing room that used to be, it used to be an actual closet that we... And so they put him in the closet, and then I had him wrap up a baseball cap, a Jimmy Kimmel Live baseball cap, and it just I wrote a note that says, Dear guest, thanks for coming on the show. <laughs> <laughs> furious. Furious. Uh, I would just torture that man. I did... Um, he has a, a, a the, the Super Dave double, this mannequin that... Not a mannequin, you know, a, a dummy. That That's the thing that's getting crushed. But it... it he, it spent thousands of dollars on it, and he was really. I'm gonna leave it here, but I want it under lock and key. And um, so I hear about this. I'm like, great. So uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Jimmy's cousin Sam, and myself, get the dummy, and we just did photos of it. Just you know, me fucking it on Jimmy's desk. You know, <laughs> the dummy's nose in my asshole. You know, it, and then I blew up all these photos. <laughs> giant printer so it was like three by four photos of me abusing his doll again pissed really pissed and so I used to have a lot of fun while directing Kimmel I love I loved working with you we did a pilot together a few yeah, years yeah, ago yeah, yeah, and yeah. it was great because you you wore this ridiculous hat on tape day and you're like, yeah, if I'm wearing a ridiculous hat, and, you know, I can't really get too mad in the control if anything goes wrong because yeah. it's going to take you seriously yeah. if you're wearing a stupid fucking hat. Let's remember who's got the fez on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it was from Kimmel. It's like if you're screaming at people in a sombrero, you're a douchebag. <laughs> so I, I tend to always wear a really dumb hat while I'm directing. And it really helped me, you know. And one day I was mad at Kimmel, and, and I come stomping down to the set, gunk, gunk, gunk. and the band director, Cleto, goes, he's mad. He doesn't have a hat. 
Yeah, so you left the hat. Yeah, I actually threw the hat. But for the most part, I'd be pretty chill. I remember. Did I tell you the the Motley Crue story when they were on? Oh, so I'm sorry. I'm just babbling. Please babble. So, so I don't sure they were doing this outdoor concert. And the manager comes in for some reason. Nikki Six isn't at the dress rehearsal. I don't know if he left. I don't know what it is. And he goes, he goes, uh, he's on the phone. He goes, Nikki, I'm going to put you on the phone with uh, the director, Bobcat Goldthwait. No, yeah, no, the same guy. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, I'm I'm serious. And so <laughs> he goes, he goes, it's Nikki, and he hands me the phone. And I go, hey, man, what's going on? He goes, you know, the crew, we don't do many shows. And, and it's just uh, none of this seems special. And I was like, well, you know, I, I really need you at rehearsal. I, you know, we didn't even get I was going to have you come through the elephant doors, which we never have guests. And you guys are going to come there and it was going to be backlit and, and, and smoke and, and Wagner was going to be playing. He's like, Wagner, I go, you know, Apocalypse Now. Da, 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 da. And he's like, yeah, 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 you know, right on, you know. So he turns around and comes to the rehearsal and I hand the phone back to the manager he goes well why didn't you tell me any of that stuff I go because I just came up with it <laughs> <laughs> I really was like trying to think what would a metal guy love <laughs> you, know, and, you were writing the hackiest metal character yeah yeah I was like yeah and Wagner and you know so yeah and did they how did they and they played yeah they did they did and you know I was always concerned about people and uh, you know like Mick Mars is, is, you know, and like I wouldn't be, I'd pull back and be a little kind with the camera and, and things like that, you know. Sometimes it, things, I don't want to tell the story, but it's because it was about an artist that didn't do well. And what I did was I acted like we had a technical fuck up in the booth. So had him stay after and had him re-record it without a live audience. Well, that's a nice thing to do. Yeah, I guess I don't want to look good. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't want to out the artist. That's why. Well, no, no, but I mean, it's a, it's a it's a nice thing to do. That I feel like, and I think it's one of the benefits of someone who was a performer that then becomes a director is that you. Oh yeah, it's it's, it's having the mentality of knowing like, oh well, we want this performer because I think I think most directors, particularly in a in a situation like that where you're in a volume game of. Look, we do five of these a week. Yeah. Let's just fucking let's get out of here, get the crew. But but just to say, like, hey, we want to make sure you look really good. Or you want to wrap your brain around the music and who they are and try to portray them in a way that they're not cringing when they watch it later on. But but uh, but the direct opposite would happen when uh, Nickelback was on, and they might be nice fellas, but they had a, <laughs> a manager. Or I don't know who this guy is. He came into the booth. He goes, "Who's the director?" And I go, "I am." And he's like, "Well." Don't shoot Chad profile. Only shoot him straight on. I'm like, well, who's Chad? He's like, he's our lead singer. And um, <laughs> I've told this story on stage, but it's true. And I said, I'm laughing. He goes, he, I go, why can't I shoot him? Stri-, you know, from the side. He goes, because he ha- he's got a big nose. And I go, okay. And the cameraman can hear this conversation, and they're going, pussy. Are you really good, pussy? So they're in <laughs> yeah, your ear. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> While this guy's talking to me. <laughs> and they're going, and they're going, and they're like going. <laughs> oh, they were really. It was pretty funny. They were pounding me. They go, oh, that what happened to the Bobcat? We thought we knew. So, <laughs> so as the show's going off the air, the band will play a second song. And I said to the assistant director, I said, I go, tell me when I have. I go, tell me when I have ten seconds left. She goes, okay. She goes, ten seconds. I go, shoot the nose. And, <laughs> and, 
and five of the cameras uh, snap zoom in on this guy's nose. So, so I make a nose montage. Camera three, camera four, camera one, camera six, camera two. We go off the air, dead quiet in the headset. Uh, and the actual conversation was, uh, it was really quiet. And one of the guys go, hey, uh, we were supposed to do that, right? Like, everybody's all, like, uh, like they're all weirded out. And they go, what are we doing now? I go, I'm getting in the car, man. And, uh, and uh, so what happened was it, it, it made it to the East Coast, and somebody flipped out. And so they the the wide camera, so that's how they just, that couldn't zoom in, so they just tack that on for the rest of the broadcast. That's why Kimmel will never get Nickelback back yeah, on. Yeah, exactly. Well, it was always my... Like, yesterday, Larry King, and, and I was hoping... Oh, God, I hope he doesn't remember this. He he was on, and part of the deal with him appearing was that his wife, who's this, you know, an age-appropriate woman for me, not for Larry, <laughs> and, uh, and she's singing, you know, rock, blues, you know, whatever... But Larry's turned around with his face looking at her, just transfixed. And I put Larry's face in a heart. And then I had and I had it floating. I had it floating around her head as she was singing. It was just like was, so uh, it was funny because I didn't know if this stuff would you know, sometimes Jimmy would be like, Oh, that was great and then other times it's like, dude, you know, that you know, now we can't get on X, Y, and Z. But but uh, you know, but he loved that kind of stuff. He, you know. Did he remember? Did you bring it up? No, I did not bring it up. I, I, I didn't intentionally. I didn't mention Kimmel because, because, because I don't know if that how that went down. But Jimmy's cousin Sal was really funny, and we used to do this bit where it was a uh, they would do a uh, celebrity in a box. So there would be a celebrity inside a box on Hollywood Boulevard. And you would grab people and you'd say, so you have three guesses. Who do you think the celebrity is? And uh, Sal did not like doing the bit. And I, I, it'd keep, we'd keep, it was a runner and come through the show. And I didn't like it because it was complicated. And I just didn't like doing the bit. And uh, I was like, Sal, you got to kill this bit. And he goes, okay. So the fix is in. So we cut to the first bumper. And um, Jimmy goes, Sal. And he's got a, a someone who's going to play the game. Sal, and Jimmy goes, Sal, who do you got with you? And he goes, it's Barry Williams. Oh, you mean this person? I thought you meant in the box. <laughs> <laughs> and I go, hit the confetti. It goes, poof. And then the box opens up. And it's like the band plays a sting. And, and it comes back to Jimmy, who's both furious and in love you know yeah. with Sal so it was pretty cool well <clears throat> I mean Jimmy as much as Jimmy likes to fuck with people yeah. he loves he loves to mercilessly fuck with in a fun oh, way oh yeah of like, course I mean he's a great yeah so he, he yeah uh, so it was uh, yeah yeah that was you know, yeah that was so it was a I love that show it was really fun to have a job you know I, I started doing stand up when I was 16 and I got on Letterman when I was 20 so outside being a janitor in my high school and um I'd never had a, a job where I showed up every day. So Kimmel was great for three years. I, I got to meet people and talk to them about their family and have a weekend off. It was pretty cool. And you're yeah. still touring now. I do stand up, but I usually I direct on a lot of people's TV shows, a lot of comedians, and then I and then I I make a movie about every year, every year and a half. Why is stand? Uh, <clears throat> it, it feels like stand up is particularly difficult to shoot because, and I assume it's because. 
well, you know, stand-up really is a live experience. It's a very right. communal experience. And if you're not in that immediate group, if you're not there seeing it live, you sort of miss out on the energy. And so it's kind of – it tends to be more about the jokes and how it's shot when you're, when you're shooting as opposed to, you know, getting swept up in the energy of being in a, in a live yeah. room. So how do you – Well, I always think that, the, that when I'm directed on a stand-up special, the, the thing is, is that, that I should – make the audience feel like they had the best seat in the house, you know, and not be cutting to the back of the theater. Like, it's, that's annoying to me. It's like, what would it look like if I had really shitty seats in the middle <laughs> of a joke? Um, and um, I just said Barron's, and I think finally stumbled on something that I thought really worked. I was thinking about when we make movies, you, you know, you can have focus, um, like close-ups, but, but on comedy shows you don't. So, so I actually had a long lens with two operators. So someone was pulling focus, just like we were shooting a movie, and I shot a profile. And I really like it because Marin's not all over the stage, and you kind of feel like you're in his head. You know, he's even though he's in front of a fifteen hundred people, he's crouched in a ball on the stool, and, and I was really happy the way it came out. Will you please put in a thing in his special where you put my head in a heart and just bounce it around? <laughs> <laughs> it could be my head in a guillotine. <laughs> He's uh, uh, Mark. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, boy. No. Uh, <laughs> you do a spot-on impression of him. I do? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I guess. But I don't ever – I'm never conscious of it. It's just when I'm repeating stuff I think he would say. You were doing an impression of his cat's. <laughs> oh, I was. Yeah, when yeah. were they doing that? When we were doing that TV show, I don't know if it was on oh, the air. Oh wow, you, you, I totally forgot. I, I, yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess because uh, we're totally f- fine now. But there was a period where he's like, "Yeah, I see you doing stand up up there. Uh, it's good to see you try real hard." Like it's just like okay. <laughs> All I said was hello. Yeah, you know. Well, <laughs> well yeah, and it, it, it's uh, uh, you know uh, his mark. You know, and if you're not having a, if you didn't have a beef with him, then you, that then you wouldn't be his friend in a weird way. Like sometimes I'm like, oh man, we haven't had a beef. I don't think Mark likes me. <laughs> I, I felt that like we never had any kind of uh, static between us. And I was like, maybe that means we're not friends. Like, no, 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 no. I don't think it. I don't think it means that. And and he's, you know, I mean, well, look, he's I mean, not that. He's not that way. And it's not. It's not that way anymore. But I, I, you know, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm. A, now it sounds like I'm backpedaling, but I'm a big fan. I mean, I love, I love his interviews and the, and uh, and I work on his TV show. But you know, we're friends. We we work together. We drive each other nuts. That's how it goes. Yeah. When's the special? When's the special? When's that coming out? I think that comes out in December. Cool. Yeah. So and I did Patton's special and Brian Pesain with yeah. uh, oh. uh, 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 did Jonah tell you? Yeah, Jonah and Brian both told yeah. me. Which, but yeah. we didn't. We haven't talked about it publicly because we don't want to give away the thing. But it is one yeah. of those. It's really weird. It's truly yeah. weird. It's a really weird thing, and it's not even in the end. And I don't even want to. It's not like Bob Gay Goldwright said something's weird. It's got to be weird. No. It's fucked up. <laughs> and, and it happens in the. You middle. didn't have to fucking do it. I know, but it happened in the, in the middle of the show. Yeah. And it was so <laughs> weird. I was like, did you close that? Uh, no, 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 we did it in the middle of the show. No. And it's so beautiful. And the crowd's laughing at first, and then they're getting really mad. That was it the, was yeah, beautiful. The first and, crowd. And, you didn't and, have to make eye contact with any of those people. Oh, it was so great. And and um, what made me. Happy was it, 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 yeah. Again, here's the how mad people were getting. I'm yeah. like happy, you know. That was my old early stand up. It wasn't like you know, it was always about 
you know, making people laugh is one thing, but like if afterwards they were like, did you see what he did? You know, that used to make me really happy, you know. I would just go on stage when I first started doing stand-up and I would start a stand-up comedy app. Then I would stop and I would pull out a Dear John letter and read it. And then I'd start crying. And then I'd go back to the stand-up and I'd go, my wife is so fat. How fat is she? And I'd go, I... I told you I don't even have a girlfriend, you know, and, 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 and it would just be, and I tried to do observational humor while I was, you know, uh, uh, real tears, um, yeah, or gut fish on stage, you know, because people didn't like the, they couldn't wrap their brain around the character that I was doing because it's so extreme and. And I knew that there was a vibe from a lot of the comics. You know, just do it as a character, then do other stuff. So I go, I, go, I came out of character, oh, hi, this is my real voice. And the crowd's like, oh, and this is the part of the show where I like to gut and clean a fish. <laughs> <laughs> and does anyone have a fish? And my roommate had this, this huge long herring that was, was rancid because it had been in the trunk of the car. And, <laughs> what the fuck? and so I take this fish and I just slit its guts open on stage. And the and the this woman in the front row just immediately because it was rancid just projectile vomit, <laughs> and so and so I put the mic down so you could hear her vomiting <laughs> over the thing. So there's fish entrails and vomit, uh, a complete and utter barfarama. And, and then I'm like, well, I, you know, thank you. You've been a great crowd. You know? And and I. And the next guy, who's a very funny comedian, Bill Campbell, but, you know, very traditional stand-up, comes out. And he's like, you know, relationships are weird. And there's, <laughs> there's guts all over. And the guy who owned the club was Shun Lee. It was the ding-ho. And he, I had very few conversations with Shun Lee. And that night I had one. He, they said, Shun wants to talk to you. And I go back and he goes, Bob, you're weird. You're too weird. <laughs> you're weird. Like, if you called the ding-ho, it was like, who's on first? You'd go, hey, this because you would... You'd call there to get picked up to go drive to Rhode Island or something. You'd be like, "Hey, this is Bobcat Goldthwait. Is uh, and Bobcat no here? He no here? No, no. This is Bobcat. It was like this Asian who's on first that would go on. I just can't believe that no one like who cleaned up the fish. That's a good question. I don't remember <laughs> me cleaning it up, but it didn't matter. The Ding Ho was like the Barry ran the club. And it was anarchy. I mean, it really was. Like, we would lock the, the doors and windows and, 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 and put cardboard over them so, you, so, so daylight didn't come in because we'd party all night. And I don't talk about that that much, but, you know, I'm, I've been sober since I was 19. And, but I got sober because of the life I was leading going to the Ding Ho. And, and I, remember, um, <laughs> I remember just doing blow on the bar. And the, the door opens up, and these cops come in, and they're backlit. It was very cinematic, and 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 I'm gacked out of my mind. And I'm 19. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to jail. And the cops go, Lenny, how the fuck are you? And they come in, and they sit down, and they start doing blow at the bar. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, you know, up is down, you know. So so it was uh, it was really crazy. This is a story that. You know, Barry doesn't like it when I tell the story, but um, there was a – I stopped drinking, and this other comedian was in kind of a blackout and uh, at the Ding Ho, and he, he had me in a headlock, and he's trying to pour liquor down my throat. Oh, Jesus. And Barry had broken his wrist. He had a cast on because he punched a wall. In his defense, the wall made the first move, but he had this, <laughs> he had this cast on. 
And so the guy who's got me in the headlock goes, hug me. He goes, Barry's like, let him go. And he's like, hug me or hit me, Mr. Crimmins. And Barry goes, it's the fastest decision I ever made in my life. <laughs> and he pops him in the jaw with his cast. Oh, shit. And he breaks his jaw. And let me, and I got freed. And then, um, but then the next day they hugged it out. And the guy was a, did song parody. So the next day he's got his mouth wired shut while he's singing, <laughs> while, while he's singing song parodies. So that was the ding ho. It was uh, it was bedlam. It was chaos. It was but all these comics came out with all these different unique uh, takes. You know? And so that in your mind, what was it that you were doing on stage back then? Was it because was it? Oh, they're going to think it's funny if I'm gutting a fish, or like, oh, I just want to do something different, or I just I'm I wasn't doing trying to stand out. It was as a little boy, I was such a stand up comedian fan. I was a fanatic when I was a tiny kid. That by the time I was 16, n- traditional stand-up comedy didn't really mean much to me. I really loved Andy Kaufman and Brother Theodore and people like that. So, so I was definitely my early stand-up was just almost performance art. You know, that sounds pretentious, but that's really what I was about. So the the guy, the character, yeah, that that guy. It's interesting that. You were sober for all, pretty much. Yeah, all of people that. always think I was messed up because I set the Tonight Show on fire. You know, they go, "Well, you must be high." <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, well, you set the couch on fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The chair I, I'd been sitting in. <laughs> I act like that's a normal thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my daughter grew up, and and you know, I got arrested. Well, I didn't get arrested. I got arrested for the Tonight Show, but our Cineo Hall show, I had smashed up. Caused way more damage than that Tonight Show chair. I got charged seven hundred dollars for that chair. But at Arsenio Hall, I had smashed up the whole set. I'd spray painted Paramount sucks on the backdrop because he was getting fired. And then I put my Doc Martens to this like three thousand dollar monitor, and you know I just smashed the whole show up. It was funny, and uh, the producers like get him, and they and so Arsenio tackles me, and I'm rolling around on the ground, and he whispers in my ear, "Thank you." <laughs> so my daughter and I are coloring and she was about eight and uh, she grew up with uh, Lily Idol, Eric Idol and Tanya Idol's daughter as her best friend you know and, and uh, the news comes on and goes comedian goes berserk on the Arsenio Hall show and I'm coloring with Tasha and she looks up and she's like Ugh. I go what? She goes uh, sometimes you act like you don't have a brain in your head. (laughs) And I go, well, it's just comedy. She goes, it's not comedy. It's on the news. Lily's dad's never on the news. (laughs) 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 Did you, did that make you? Yeah. Yeah. He's, he did sketch stuff. It's completely completely different. (laughs) It's completely different. He doesn't, you know, he's not, he doesn't go on as a, he'd be a character. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I, I I mean we could talk all about why I was doing that kind of stuff, but basically I think I was just had painted myself in a corner and just was so unhappy, you know. Be I, you know, I was being more famous before I started doing that kind of stuff. I felt like like I was like I was like um, you know, uh, who's the uh, Richard Simmons. Do you know what I mean? Like I'd go on a talk show, I'd do this persona and it would go over really well. But I wasn't doing anything else, you know, and I can't really blame now. I can't blame showbiz. I wasn't doing the things that make me happy, you know. Now I love what I do. Well, I think it's it's hard not to when something starts working. Yeah, you just start oh. doing it, and then I think 
by the time you realized what happened, it was almost you were so far down that oh, road. It was horrible. Yeah, and then you and th- that's why I never like that's why I never like being in character for things. It's like, but then then you kind of you might be stuck in that. Yeah, and if you hate that, if you start hating that guy, yeah. but then you got to come out and do the hey, rah, rah, you yeah. know, like, oh yeah, and 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 then my working class upbringing would kick in. Like you know, I'm I'm at the Nashville Funny Bone and. People are zany, sorry, and uh, people are there to see this persona that I have nothing in common with anymore, and I feel well, I have to do it because these—that's what the people paid money to see. So I became, you know, trapped because I felt an obligation. But I, I mentioned that club because that's where it ended. Like one day, I just said, "I, I can't, I can't do this." Like I thought I hated stand-up. It's like, no, I hate this fucking character, <laughs> <laughs> and I went on. For the first time, like, you know, as me. <laughs> and they were yelling. And there was people yelling, you know, do the voice. You know, they still yell that when I'm in the heartland. Tell about sure. the uh, Colorado story. Oh, oh that one. <laughs> that was a <laughs> police academy. Dude, and, the, and and this person was pretty relentless. And uh, the woman, it was this woman, and she was in the back of the room. And, and she said, uh, I'm from Aurora. And I go, I know, you've learned to sit in the back. (laughs) 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 I'm not proud of these skills. I fucking love that joke so much. (laughs) I, I, yeah, there's sometimes it's like halfway out and I'm like, oh. I I like how you you describe the audience reaction where people... Uh, like acted like they just didn't hear that. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, that didn't happen. That, cause I really like this guy. If we had to acknowledge that. Yeah, yeah. I like this guy, and that's him. terrible. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, it was like I was doing a show, and these women were really. I'm not proud that I can shut hecklers up. It's just a skill that you know that's not good to have. Basically, you know. So this, these women just won't shut up and the crowd's telling them to shut up and they're just drunk and then finally I snap and I unload on this table of women and and I stop because I can hear the like I'm really kind of like you know I stop and I can hear the crowd cheering and 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 then I go back into my nightclub act and about five minutes later one of the women stands up and she's sobbing and she's I'm not a whore. It's my birthday. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so apparently, at some point, I called her a whore. Oh no! So then, her and the the table, and then their 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 fellas are all leaving the club, and they're still giving me shit as they're going out the door. And just as I'm seeing her almost out the door, I go, "Happy birthday!" <laughs> <laughs> in the whole club because everybody's evil, all saying "Happy birthday." Oh, no. <laughs> well. I I do think that that skill set, I mean it. It is, I think it is helpful to have that defense mechanism, especially if you're not someone that can punch people in the face. Right, you got to have something, you know, like you have to. Have- but it's it, it's, you know, it's ideally it would be just not having to do that part of the show. I mean, yeah, but sometimes you have to, and that I guess that's. I guess if every time there were great crowds and there weren't hecklers, it would be boring maybe? I don't know. Do you I believe it, that? Well, it do, it definitely – I think the important thing that it does is that it forces you to stop and be present. You have to be present oh, when yeah. you're being heckled because you can't, you can't be on autopilot. You have to deal with the situation and I, I, I'd spend a lot of time talking to the crowd in my act anyway. So it doesn't – so for me, if someone does that, it's not super like – 
oh, I have to stop the, you know, it's right. just like, oh, well, this is just part of the conversation. That person's being a shithead. I can sort of deal with them. But it does, there are parts of it that kind of make you feel alive. And I'm not trying to encourage people to heckle comedians more. <laughs> but, but there but is. But if you want to help the show, yes, please. <laughs> but, you know, but sometimes do you find it's actually hard to follow up dealing with a heckler with your act? Because it's so much part of the oh, shared experience. Then you step back out of yeah. it. It's like here's a thing that doesn't involve yeah, you guys. Here's a, yeah, it, yeah, because it's 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 live, you know. So so in those situations, when I'm working back into my material, I try to jumble it up. Yeah, I try to make it more conversational or or tie it into what happened or just yeah. yeah. But I I how often are you doing dates? I think I'll have done by the end of the year about well fifty road dates. And do you do you ever get hecklers that are too drunk that they're screwing up the show and they don't know it? Um, not so much anymore. Um, although there was a guy, there was a guy in Chicago that I I came out uh, and I I opened the set talking about um, my dad dying, but not in a not in a dramatic way. And it's actually it was it was going it was I just kind of started playing around in those waters, and it was. It was going really well. Like I would be the first to tell you if the show wasn't right. going well. It was going really well, and then um, some guy in the balcony, and these people came to see me on purpose. Some guy in the balcony was like, "You suck." The other guy was funnier, referring to Mike Lawrence, who over for me, who is <laughs> astonishingly hilarious. And so it sort of, it actually threw me off because I was like, "Well, I wasn't bombing," and I was yeah. also, and also it was like, there were there were there was a a confluence of things that confused me. It's like. You clearly bought a ticket to see me, but you've just heckled me like you've never heard. Like, no, why are right. you? This is a theater. Who like, are you? why are you here? And then I was also talking about my dead dad. <laughs> it was like yeah. just all these things. My immediate response was like, "You could fucking leave." Like it was like right. no one's forcing you to stay yeah. here. Yeah. You know, like it. It was such a strange. I didn't handle it as well as I normally do because so many things about it completely confused me because I. I way would have expected it if I had just been in a random club somewhere. Yeah, a nightclub. Night, it was just a nightclub. Like you know, no, no one knew who I was, and it's like you know, I, I've, yeah, I expect that, but it, it threw me off because of the context of it. So, it but was, how do you even engage a heckler when he's on a balcony, like way in the back? And he it's was, like, there's he no... sounded pretty drunk, and so it just sort of seemed like, all right, well, he's drunk, and he just fuck it. Like he didn't immediately recognize any of the reference points and so something yeah. in- i did a a show like it was probably 80s or 90s there was a hurricane in in um miami maybe and uh we're playing a stadium and the show was like the bgs crosby stills and nash gloria estefan <laughs> Whoopi goldberg <laughs> probably robert i mean just the list went on and on and the show started it was sponsored by bacardi <laughs> So it starts at 5, and I go on at 2 a.m. I go on as the last act as they're bringing everyone else up. And I go out, and I go, hey, I don't want to be rude, but did this place used to have a roof? You know, because it's a hurricane, it's a stadium. And then, and then uh, I see the furthest guy I can actually make out, and I'm like, you, under the Uniroyal sign, under the tire, third row, Third row, and I had the audience actually pick the guy. Like we, they figured it out. They're waving. And single as one guy. I go, yeah. 
What do you do for a living? <laughs> I started doing crowd work in a football stadium. <laughs> That's too many people for comedy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Please welcome. Uh, you can't. It was even weirder than that because I've become friends with Andy Garcia, but he was like, he he was hosting it. It, my my daughters were friends also, and went and they grew up together and went to the same school. But they, I, I had just met him, I think, for the f- first time, and he was. And then at this thing, he's introducing me. He goes, "Your kids go to the same school," and and he may have had a Bacardi or two, mm-hmm. and um. I go, I know you're always so well dressed, you know, and I show up because he is. You'd always be in a suit at school picking up the kids, and I go and I show up, and they think I'm going to steal children. <laughs> And uh, so he goes out there. Like I said, he may have been inviting. He goes, this next guy, he wants to steal kids. <laughs> oh, <laughs> something, no. something like that. He just, he Something just similar to that. A few he, words. Goes, he goes to school. He wants to steal kids. Uh, Please welcome. Hi, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Going to steal your kids. Oh, my God. I think it's the, the weird thing about a crowd like that size is that they can never they rarely will come together as a oh, as a, no. as a group yeah, yeah, so you yeah. might get one section yeah. but then the like the loge is kind of their yeah. own faction and it's sort of well you must get that when you're playing theaters like uh, like wow this is really playing uh, on one side of the theater well the theaters are good it's i'm not i'm not in like i think when you get to 3000 and above it's probably that way right. these are like the biggest one's like probably a, about eighteen hundred, okay. which is actually still the, big. The, 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 the theater's shallow; like they're not super deep right. when they're shallow and there's balconies, and it still feels like one room. But I think when you get above a couple thousand people, that's I think that's when they start, especially in rooms that are rooms that are where the audience goes way back from the stage, yeah. and they can they you start giving them distance, and then that's when well, they're I'm, feeling disconnected. It was a uh, few years back was my birthday. And uh, my other dear friend, Tony V, was playing the Riviera in Vegas, and Robin was playing the MGM in, like, <laughs> where they have, like, MMA, you know? Right. And um, and so I hadn't done stand-up in about five years because I've been directing stuff, and, and Tony's on stage, and there's, like, 20 people there, and I go, I go, bring me up. And he's like, really? I go, yeah, bring me up. So I jump on stage and I start doing stand-up. My daughter was there and she's like, do the voice. (laughs) She she really was. Such a fucking ball buster. (laughs) Bobcat, Bobcat, Bobcat. That's how she, I go, what? She goes, do the voice. Just just a terrible person. So, so. So I hit Robin. He's like, "Bring me up," and I was like, "Really?" So, 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 yeah. Tony, Robin, and myself, and we just did donuts. We just goofed around. We had the one of the, my favorite times on stage, you know. And then it was funny because then the next night he's at the Robin's at the MGM, and he did well, and the crowd liked him. He had fun, but I knew he had way more fun when we were just fucking off. <laughs> yeah, because there, there's it, like when. When you can tell mm. that the crowd's en- engaged, and you can, I mean, like, mm. I, I would imagine by the time you're doing the MGM Grand at that point, it's just sort of like, it's almost kind of like watching a movie. You know, yeah. it's like, you can't, because you, you people can, were, I remember watching the screen more than him. Right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, I, and Tony V, I don't know if you know, he's a big comedian, he's a really sweet guy, uh, he, but he's a large guy, Tony. 
tough looking guy, but a sweetheart from Boston. And this is not that long ago. And people were coming up to the table. We're gambling. All of us were playing blackjack. And this guy goes, hey, hey, Mark, where's Mindy? (laughs) And Tony goes, she's over there sitting at fuck off and asked you to join her. (laughs) 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 And Robin would never say anything. I said, oh, you know, but he's he's (laughs) totally fucking loving it, though, at the same time. But yeah, everyone. I think I think mo- most people, if you've been in the business for any length of time and had any amount of success, everyone's got a "Where's your Mindy?" Do the voice. Like yeah. everyone's, yeah, everyone's yeah, kind of yeah. got those. What's yours? Is it? Uh... Uh, did you fuck Jenny McCarthy? Oh yeah, I'm sure that. Yeah, that's... and then the future will be points. Yeah, <laughs> it's still kind of that now. Yeah, yeah. But I'm fine. You know, it doesn't. It doesn't really. It's, I, I think it depends on. I think it depends on well, you know what the problem is the aggression. There's no answer to that. Like right. it's just like, you know. First of all, I'm not going to talk to you about women if it was true. You know, I mean, just, there's no. How do I get off this? Yeah, it's. I think it's only when it's contextualized when when someone says it aggressively. Right. Hey, and you're like, I don't. What are we? Are we? Are you, are you? Are you? We're supposed to fight? Like I don't understand. No. Like some people just want you to know. Like I know who you are. And you're not better than me. I was like, yeah. I don't think I was. I'm not. Yeah. I just. I, I get a lot of times job. when uh, people. Uh, it's usually women. It's like my friends say you're important. I don't know who you are. <laughs> it's like <laughs> yeah, I'm important. I'm at the same Dave and Buster's you are. Right? <laughs> I'm super important. <laughs> I, yeah. Well, well, you should know. I was in Hot to Trot, Miss. You know. <laughs> uh, 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 you don't want to give up on people. Hey, did you fuck Dabney Coleman? Uh, hey, did you fuck that horse? <laughs> did you fuck that horse? Did you fuck that horse? That horse fucking... hated me. I remember telling... <laughs> they would they would hit it in the face with a stick to make its mouth move. Oh, no, that's so yeah. sad. Yeah, so it's already a horrible experience making the movie. And, and Robin's like, so how's it going? I go, it'd be like doing Mork and Mindy. And when they yell action, someone punched Pam Dauber in the mouth. <laughs> That's that's how much that's fun horrible. this is. It's the worst thing ever. So this horse would see me and know that he's going to get hit. No. So it hated me because it's an animal. It's smart. So it hated me. It'd step on me. It'd put its foot on me, you know. And, Getting your uh, camera shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't block the money. But he, he uh, <laughs> there's this old guy, Corky, and he would sit there on an apple box all day and with a shovel, and uh, a horse will raise its tail before it craps. And... <laughs> This guy was like a ninja. That tail would go up, and he that shit never hit the floor. He would have that shovel under its ass and catch it. It was wow. It was impressive. So I see the tail going up. I look over at Corky, and he's just sitting there, sitting on his apple box, not getting up. And then the horse shat. It had diarrhea, and it it looked like spin art. It everything five feet down, covered in spray, including me. Just just. Like like a fire extinguisher, uh, fire hose pressure, diarrhea, all over the set. I'm I'm covered in shit. And the uh, first day he goes, that's a wrap, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Corky knew what kind of shit was going to come out, so he knew not to fucking well, Corky approach. Corky knew that he'd been, yeah, that the horse had died. See, this is the kind of things where... It's, that's the inside. That's It's unfortunate that, that you yeah. couldn't tell stories like that for the DVD extras. Or for or, the or press the junket, you yeah. know, because that's what would happen. I would be on junkets and I'd start telling stories and... and, and uh, yeah, they people get really mad. Like they would get, yeah, they would get really mad being honest at a press junket. <laughs> yeah, you're not supposed to do that, especially for a, what's no. supposed to be like a family movie. But somebody just did it, goofing around. I think 
Paul Rudd maybe with Ant Man, like he was just making a joke or two. People were like, you know, they, they Ant Man's real. <laughs> no, <yeah. laughs> they really hurt. Well, it's I think you know for people who are accustomed to dealing with horrible things with humor, yeah, in certain contexts that people don't always know how to deal with it, uh, so they. And and, and and from you know from the from the person's point of view who does like I'm just fucking around and it's because I'm tired and I'm just trying to this is a weird situation and this is how I this is my armor this is my defense mechanism this is how I well I think I think um, when you the the generation now if you ha- make fun of yourself I don't think they can process that. Like when I, if you do self-effacing humor, if I do self-effacing humor on Instagram, people go, "Oh, come on, man!" It's like uh, he's using a little irony, irony, yeah. irony, irony, and sarcasm. Because yeah. I feel, I feel like there's a generation of entertainers that just say, "I'm the greatest." Like it's just made us all wrestlers, you know? Yeah, I, I shouldn't even shit on wrestlers like that. I like wrestlers. Well, <laughs> I think I think it's uh, I think in general, I think certain. Like some comedy just wasn't meant for everybody. Yeah, and so that's you know. how I feel about my movies. You know, I make my movies so tiny and so far outside the system, and I'll and I'll read a bad review, and I'm like, yeah, okay, see you next year, bitch. You know, I mean, I'm not. You're not going to stop me. I just keep making them. I know it, it's like uh, right on, you know. But um, that's weird about. And now I am self promoting that that people really like call me lucky and. Um, that's almost even hard for me to process <laughs> success or, or to have people like something is weird. But I can at least realize that people like it because it's Barry's story and that and that the movie does speak on a, a bigger level, you know, the, 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 about adult abuse. And, and so at these screenings, there's all these after the screenings, people will come up and they're crying and they'll come up and they'll disclose. And sometimes for the first time, they'll be disclosing about their own child abuse. And I've always been a bit of a misanthrope. And now it's forced me to hug people and touch people. And it's fucking annoying. No, it's, <laughs> no, no, no. You know, I mean, it, it, I, I'm only kidding about that. But it has forced me to be physical which is really funny because i i've always had a problem with that but now i see you know there's a big guy come lumbering up and his eyes are all puffy and i'm like yeah come in here get get a hug (laughs) get a piece yeah yeah so well that's nice i mean it's you know it it, when you start telling those kinds of stories i mean you you really it's time for me to do a talking duck movie (laughs) this is too much fucking reality is that the after show for howard the duck anything yeah i mean i think i think it's me trying to I'm only half kidding, you know. I, I, I'm going to do quackers or something, you know. I, I, I just want. To, I have to doing a talking horse movie that wasn't funny. I'm going to do an animal talking movie and prove them all wrong. I think you could. I think you could do a movie. I think you could do a movie about a movie that like. Like making quackers. The making yeah. quackers. Well, I did a, the first short I ever did was the making of Bikini School Three. And it's cast. It's me, you know, lampooning making Police Academy, where the producers like, I lose money in Canada. The Canadian crews are just technically more advanced. <laughs> <laughs> and then you see a director filming a scene where there's a bird crapping out a guy's head, and he's like, and poop, <laughs> poop. <laughs> God, we're not gonna get one better than that. <laughs> Let's not put our foot through a Van Gogh, people. 
so so that was a but I, I uh, yeah, you know, I just keep making movies. I'm really happy. I've had some tragedy, but you know, I, I think, I think we all do, and I, and everything shifted for me this year. Toby Huss and my friend John Weiner, we always go into the ocean at New Year's, and we run in there. It's not that cold, it's L.A., but you know, sometimes it's fifty, <laughs> and we speak to the universe. And they're, you know, I'm not that cosmic. I'm more of an agnostic. But they, you know, they'll run in the ocean and be like, this is the year I get paid to be creative. Or, this is the year I find the woman that's good for me and for, you know, who'll be my soulmate. And then it comes to me and I'm like, ah, snow tires. I want snow tires. You know, I, you know I've always been a sarcastic prick. But, but this year... Well, we're all yelling the things to the universe. I just said, I said, bring me more pain. You know, that's what I asked for. You know, who's this? You know, and it changed because my whole perception was like, when is this going to stop? This has been so relentless this year. When I suddenly said, well, maybe it could be more. So once I thought of that, I actually did get a lot of relief. And today just kicked me, kicked me in, in the ass. You know, today was just hard. You know, it was, it was. Uh, I, I, I didn't see it coming I, I, that it would affect me that much. I don't talk about my friend. I think it's important for me to talk about him because sometimes I mention his involvement in in getting the movie going and supporting it, but I also don't want to be someone that's promoting a movie on my friend's death for God's sake. That would be horrible. So it's been a weird it's been a weird. It's been a weird junket. That's for sure. Well, I, I'm. I appreciate that you came in anyway, and that you came and did at midnight anyway, and you came here anyway. And I'll be interested. I actually don't watch myself. I may watch me at, at midnight because I was like really just checked out. Like I was just trying. I was like, say something, talk. Like if you notice, I never hit the fucking buzzer. <laughs> <laughs> you had I a saw couple you go for it and then pull yeah, back. I don't know. I was just like, so, so. I think it's good, even if even if even if it helped. Well, you. I mean, you were really fucking funny, so oh, it wasn't. Good. I mean, I don't think, I don't think it was like. Ugh. I was once out of this Australian game show, and whenever the host wasn't looking, I'd slap the woman's buzzer that was sitting next to me, <laughs> and he goes, "Sophie," <laughs> and she's like, "He keeps hitting my buzz." I go, "Look, you're gonna lose, lose. You know? <laughs> yeah. Don't drag me into it." <laughs> I just think if any, if anything, even if it kind of helped distract you for a little bit, because I, I'll it it makes me happy to see that. Your your demeanor has changed a little bit from when you came in, and you and you've actually started smiling and having fun and telling these stories. And I think it's it makes me happy that I think it, if if this in any way kind of helped you get some of it out a little yeah, bit. And thank you, and it did, and it's nice to uh, you know. Here's the thing that it, that that would be a real horrible thing if people forgot that Robin was a man. Yeah, you know that he was a dude. That you know that would be horrible. Siri is super talented. Siri is really generous and kind and fun and everything. But he was, he's also a dude. You know, he's a man, you know, and that's the guy I miss. Yeah. And the responsibility of someone who's so um, eager to entertain people. Yeah, and- we would, I would bust his balls, you know, because he would be on, you know, and whenever he got on, I would just kind of check out. And I was like, you know, you, it, it's important for you that everybody in this restaurant thinks you're funny. I go, they already love you. You know, this is crazy. You know, I go, and he's like, well, you, you, you want everybody to listen to you. And I go, yeah, I know, but your form of neuroses is way more lucrative. <laughs> 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 I 
he goes, he goes, you piss people off. You want them to listen to you. Right? He goes, it's the same thing. I go, yeah, I guess. You know. But I think that's why it's easy for people to, you know, because you... <laughs> you take you you can take people for you can take people for granted when you're like oh he's always he seems always happy all the time yeah, oh yeah, yeah. like and what a responsibility for someone who constantly makes people feel better they always just assume like oh well he'll just make you feel better well he's got yeah. you know he's got problems we no 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 he's fine yeah yeah he's yeah. Look, all right look at look he's fucking around he's he's making the salt talk or whatever yeah, yeah, like, yeah. no he's <laughs> really needs like he's yeah. a person that or he just needs you know and he got sick you know and and uh, and everybody's gonna speculate and talk and gossip but at least I weighed in with my two cents yeah is there is there anything that is there anything that you would want people to understand about Besides that, you know. Well, I mean, just 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 don't go down that road and assume it was alcohol or drugs or depression. You know, he he was, you know, his autopsy did come back with Louis body dementia, which is a form of dementia, and I believe that that is really what what took my friend. You know, so and again, I'm not a doctor or anything, but that's just my take. And and I gotta say, I don't. It doesn't really concern me too much if the world's opinion changes on that. I just know that, and that's enough for me. Well, that's the most important thing. I mean, he was he was your friend, and you had you had a personal connection to him, and everyone else didn't. And of course, the world is filled with, you know, <laughs> the world is filled with uneducated experts. Well, you know, I, well, well, now I'm gossiping, but but one of his friends, dear friends, actually, he said, he said, uh, boy, you know. I never heard him say anything bad about anyone, and I started laughing because I thought he was making a joke. And then, and then the other people were there, and they, uh, and then it was pointed out to me. They go, "Well, you're the only one that he did talk smack around." <laughs> he actually, I was like, "Oh, he hated a lot of people." You know, <laughs> you know that's what made me laugh. I was like, "Oh, really? Oh, oh, yeah." So, so I'm the keeper of the, <laughs> of, the of the of the keys. Yeah. I mean, is it? Uh... Did your brain go to inappropriate joke places to deal with it? Oh, of course, of course. You know, and 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 you know, and ex- well, I, you know, I'm coming off of a documentary that's about child abuse and the amount of dark humor from Barry and myself while we're making it. You know, he he went into the basement where he was raped as a kid, and we actually had a huge argument. I'm like, you're not going in there. I was filming anyways because I wanted to film the space. I didn't want to do reenactments, and whenever I say that, he goes, "You didn't want to do reenactments." But um, so, so, so he he fights with me. He's like, "I'm going in that basement." You know, you go through a problem, you're not around it. You, I'm not giving this building any magical powers. You you can film it or not. I'm going in. I go, "Give me five minutes." So, spin the cameras around. And I've known Barry most of my life. And he goes in the shock, but he's very articulate and very well spoken in the basement. He it's he really it's eloquent what he says down there. And uh, he he says to me afterwards, he goes because he, he was just in complete shock. You know, he, he he's chimp monking a beer as he likes to say. He drinks a beer with both hands like a chimp monk. <laughs> but he says, I don't. I, I I was really in shock. I don't know what I said there. Is any of it usable for the movie? And I said, oh, it doesn't matter. I'm going to play yakety sax the whole time you're in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like that, you know. Oh, it's beyond needed, that kind it of is, It is needed to break the tension. And also, and, and I, think, I think that type of stuff, it's not, it's not about being disrespectful. Because obviously you both know it's a horrible situation. And we're all in a lot of horrible situations. I think it's about, 
it, it at least just gra- it gives us a little bit of like power, even if it's like a fake power over it. It just I feel like it gives you this. I feel like that's why no. humor is important. It helps you sure, feel I mean, like you have some control over an otherwise completely unpredictable, uncontrollable world. You know, and, and when Robin passed away, people were all going, well, I knew him this long and I knew him that long. And uh, Robin's son, Zach, came up with the term uh, competitive grieving. <laughs> you know, uh, and that, that, that killed me. You know. <laughs> So you're better somehow? Yeah, like I've known him longer. I don't, you know, it, uh, you know, whatever. He's still know. not alive. Like, what yeah, are you, fucking... you know, and that's the thing. You know, some people will start. They come up to me and they start going down this road about different things and and gossip and and I'm like, and I have to cut them off. I go, my my friend's still gone. You know, I don't I don't have time for any of these conversations. You know, the, my only my only um, my only. Uh, uh, I met him one time. It was at SF Sketch Fest, and we were at the Mill Valley Theater. And it wasn't his show. He just showed up. Yeah. He didn't even ask to go on or anything. And um, he was just hanging backstage in the green room and just riffing with everyone. And the thing that was so amazing about him is that he ma- he didn't make everyone feel like I'm the star of the oh, room. No. He was as generous with laughter and encouraging other people. And it just felt like, and it elevated everyone else in the room. Cause you're like, Oh my God, I'm riffing with this guy. I'm riffing with Robin Williams. And, and I, and I'm, and I'm, I don't know if he toned it down to help us feel like as <laughs> Earthlings. I don't, yeah, I, yeah, don't know, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if he put on ankle weights or it made it like uh, Celebrity Jeopardy. Yeah. Where, <laughs> but no, but it made everyone feel like, oh, we're a part of the same I, thing. And when I talk about his generosity, that's true. You know, it's like he he made us laugh, but he would also laugh at what you had to say. He listened to what you had to say. He laughed. He laughed. You know, um, when a few years back he was getting back to, and doing some stand up and. Caitlin is with me now. I, she lived in San Francisco. I was like, where's the alt rooms? Because I didn't want to take him to clubs that he had played 30 years ago where there might be people with resentments and known him for, you know, and, and all the young comedians are so excited to meet him and they're all helping him and giving him tags and, and doing what you're saying. You know, I, we would sit there with a, a legal pad and and that we would come up with a topic, and like if it was too dark, he'd be like, "Well, that's that's for your that's for your stack." Like, <laughs> <laughs> he'd be like, "That's that that one that one's in your pile," you know. He'd be like, it would be pretty funny." I wonder if he ever kind of envied the freedom that you have to because it, like you just you really will say whatever you feel yeah. like on stage, and and if you know whether or not. And and I think that's I think that's really freeing to not have to worry about is this going to affect something or right. are people gonna is my you know like you've always kind of pushed the envelope in that way and so people know that's what you that's what you do. Yeah, I mean he he might have. I mean he might have. But but you know and, and and I would watch him and we would be working and I would see him building forty minutes or getting an act together and then I'd just see him some night just go. Pew, like really down like a, a whole like you know just riff like 10 20 minutes that was brand new that he hadn't done before it was really freakish when that would happen it was really cool that that was that was magic that was rad i finally told a story that people probably wanted to hear that kind of stuff but you know the the, the i tell that shaggy dog uh uh, airplane story, which was true, and, and by the way, I don't have a bone to pick with the mentally challenged. But it, I started with the basketball story. But there was, uh, I, it's a long story, and it is true. But I was on a flight where Special Olympics people were on, and the engine blew up, and it's a long story. It's in my act, you know. And I'll do a really quick version. And but they're saying that 
we're going to, you know, when we land in Cleveland, the runway will be covered entirely in foam. And at the very end of the runway will be a fire truck. And then clears the bell. I hear one guy in the back of the plane go, fire truck. You know, he, <laughs> he was excited. He was going to see a fire truck. I say I went everyone from, else thinks they're going to die. Yeah, he's excited. Fire truck. You know, easy for you. You got a medal. So, um, <laughs> so, so. I say I go. I went from uh, uh, atheist to agnostic at that moment. Like maybe there is a god, you know. And 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 I would say I go look. I know some of you have mentally challenged people in your family, but but or work with them. But if you don't think they say or do anything funny, you're denying that they're human beings because that's the funniest fucking thing I've ever heard another human being say. So I was told that story. This woman stands up. And she's furious, and she's making a big deal out of it. It was even great. She starts stomping out of the room, and she goes to the door, and that door was locked, so she had to come back <laughs> through the crowd, and she's stomping out. And I told that story early on. I was only into my act for like five, ten minutes, and um, I go, is that lady gone? Because her friend stayed. I go, is that lady gone? Is she gone? Is she out of the room? They go, yeah. I go, all right. Hey, uh he 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 doesn't know he's doing this, but I'm gonna uh, please my friends here because he's gonna finish. Uh, Robin Williams, come on up here. <laughs> so he came up and he did it like about 15 minutes to an hour. Oh wow! And then then I bring him off stage. I go, all right, you're done. And I go to the table. I go, can you can you text those people right? Text that woman right now and tell her <laughs> what did you what happened after I left? Oh, Robin Williams, Bobcat left. Robin Williams did. He did an hour. Uh, that's a hundred percent true story. Yeah. Well, I I think uh, you know I don't know I I I've known you for a bit and I've I've always really loved hanging out with you and 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 I think he was really lucky to have you as a friend like just as a dude who could you know because in his position I'm sure a lot of people would be like oh Robin whatever you want you know but to know that you actually were honest with him and you could fuck with him and you know I'm sure I'm sure he really appreciated that so I think. You know, um, as as much of a good friend as he was to you, it, I I I would be willing to bet that you know he was really lucky to have you as a friend too. Oh, thanks. So, um, what do you thanks. guys want to go? Uh, what do you want to do now? I'm gonna go do a set because I'm feeling super funny. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta get on stage. <laughs> you just feel the itch. I didn't even bring up Roddy Piper. <laughs> oh no! Yeah, 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 Roddy was my pal. I mean, he wasn't like Robin and I, but yeah, Roddy and I were pals. I'm like. Oh my God! Why did I say that in the ocean? Uh, <laughs> why did you use the universe to kill everyone yeah, you love? I know, I know, but I'm, I'm, I'm well. But yeah, Roddy was just—you know—I loved Roddy. He, he, he was—you uh, know—he was great. You know, I, I think, yeah, yeah, I loved Roddy. Did you ever meet him around me? Yeah, not around you. He um, early on when I, when we were just starting to do the weekly version of the meltdown. Uh, before when we could have the back door open and there wasn't too many people going, he would always pull up in his car like midway through the show and just stand in the back from the the back door, watch the whole show, laugh out loud, clap. And then once the show was done, get back in his car and leave. And one time like I went, I was like, hey, you know, you're more than welcome to sit on a seat. And he's, he's like, nah, man, this is the way I like it. And yeah, like just yeah, uh, yeah. and he's like, great show. And then took off. I was like, I was like, that's perfect. That's great. Yeah, I know. He, he was uh uh, yeah, he was a character. You know, yeah, he's he's great. But you know that might have you know because when he finally got up on stage with Stamp, he was storytelling. I wonder if he was actually learning there. Yeah, yeah, it's possible. Yeah, he certainly didn't do waka waka out there. No, where you? Where's your set tonight? No, I'm not going. Oh, I thought you were. Gonna... I, no, I was just kidding. No, I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go hang out with my kid and uh, and get ready for another day of work. 
Well, I think, um, you know, it, it, it'll come and it'll go, you know. It sounds like you are unfortunately familiar with the process. Yeah, <laughs> It'll yeah. come and it'll go, and I think it, uh, I think it just means that it's, you know, it was special. And so, you know, I, I really, really appreciate that you came here. And it was just a... Uh, just a weird coincidence that this it happened to be this date yeah. that you were that you, yeah that if you in booked. hindsight I don't know if I would have booked at midnight on today <laughs> I really didn't yeah. but I also didn't know that I'd been be sent for such a loop so thanks no, for being so kind of course and if you know if anyone else that you know has died we'll book you on those dates yeah, too I'm done okay all right it's totally <laughs> I'm only gonna hang out with twenty year olds <laughs> <laughs> and Caitlin you can be quiet. <laughs> 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 done and done. All right, man. It's good to see you. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Enjoy your burrito, everyone. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the 65th National Finals of Distinguished Young Women. Every year, one girl from every state leaves her family, her whole life behind, for two weeks and spends each day training, practicing, preparing. Because to win this competition, she needs to wow a panel of judges with her academic record, her athletic ability, her speaking skills, and a show-stopping talent. I met her and I was like, she's gonna win. I wouldn't say I have an ego problem, but I'm extremely competitive. When I sing that song about being a black woman in America, there's gonna be backlash about that. Oh, I'm just so happy. So happy. I don't want to see them. I don't want to talk to them. And then we stayed with them for the next year, unpacking just what happened those two weeks in Mobile. I'm Shimoliai, and from Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery, this is The Competition. Follow The Competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.